Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today in Raise the Line, I'm really happy to welcome Dr. Luke Murray, who's Director of COVID Testing at Wild Health, a personalized telehealth service based in Kentucky. When the pandemic started, Wild Health was just testing its own patients, but the demand for testing grew quickly and the company managed to scale up to become a major testing resource for the entire state of Kentucky and beyond. Today, it can provide testing at more than 100 locations on the same day and has done more than a million tests and 150,000 vaccinations. Luke is also a family medicine physician with a background in system design and tech entrepreneurship. He has shadowed, taught, and or practiced primary care and hospital medicine in 10 countries. And I first met Luke about six years ago at an AMSA conference, the American Medical Student Association Conference in Washington, DC. So Luke, good to see you again. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Glad to be here, Shiv. Glad to be here. So you have quite an eclectic background. And one thing we like to ask our guests for our audience, uh, which is primarily current and future healthcare professionals, is what got you interested in medicine in the first place? So I was in eighth grade and considering career options, and I kind of made this checklist. I want to work with my hands. I want to use my brain. I want to make a, a difference. Um, and for whatever reason, my 13-year-old brain decided that becoming a brain surgeon fit the bill, so to speak. So um, it provided a, a North Star, so to speak, when it came to like, what classes do I take? Where do I head? So by the time I finished my undergraduate degree, the head of neurosurgery at uh, the University of Kentucky was my mentor. I created my own major called the Business Administration of Medicine, and he was my kind of thesis advisor as well. And um, when I finally graduated um, undergrad, uh, I was able to spend a bunch of time actually with neurosurgeons doing neurosurgery. Um, and that's what kind of got me going in that direction. I realized I don't want to stand in an OR for the rest of my life, but I had quite a bit of momentum at that point. And I think that kind of is how it started and how I ended up probably continuing down that path of medicine. Yeah, that's actually very relatable. I think when you're a bright person who's obviously noticed by your teachers and your parents as being super bright, the two kind of career options that immediately people tell you you should look at are president of the United States and neurosurgeon. The first doctor I shouted was Dr. Thomas Paine. When I went to um, med school, my advisor uh, at osmosis was Dr. Daniele Rigamonti, another neurosurgeon. So I actually didn't know that about the neurosurgery connection. So what got you to change into family medicine? You probably could have gone into any specialty given what I know about you. Sure. So I, I would like to talk a little bit about not being able to get into almost any specialty. I think that's something I care a lot about. Med students that are really, really bad med students, which I was definitely one of them. Um, but yeah, the reason I switched into family medicine, obviously I, I did uh, neurosurgery. Or I was thinking neurosurgery at first, and but by the time I was in med school, I knew I didn't want to do that. By the time I entered medical school, actually, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew that the products or services um, that I wanted to be a part of offering, I didn't want to do as the either the chef making the cheeseburger or the doctor providing the medicine. I wanted to be the orchestra conductor, not the lead violinist, so to speak. And so I ended up switching to family medicine because I didn't like any of them. Uh, they were all very narrow. And my main reason for being in medical school is to, again, be an entrepreneur in the medical space. So whichever one would give me the most breadth and uh, honestly, the least depth I was most interested in because it would allow me to um, understand, connect with, relate to uh, the most number of potential products or services in the healthcare world. So 
uh, I didn't fall in love with family medicine. I just, it frustrated me uh, the least as a entrepreneur that happened to be trapped in medical school for six years. Well, that's obviously very relatable. I left medical school to start osmosis and almost like every week I get contacted by someone who's a pre-med or a med student or a, a resident or a practicing physician who wants to get into business and medicine entrepreneurship. Uh, there's a lot of advice. There's a lot of similarities. I'm obviously delaying gratification is the name of the game. If you're going down the path of, of medicine and also entrepreneurship, it takes a lot longer than you, you think. So I'm curious, uh, let's actually veer into the entrepreneurship stuff. I know you've also started a tech incubator in Kentucky called Awesome Inc. Can you talk to us a bit about that before we go back into you know COVID and, and global health? It's, uh, it's funny you bring that up. I'm sitting in that incubator right now as I talk to you. So um, before I went to medical school, I sold books door to door for a company called Southwestern. They're based in Nashville, Tennessee, and they are so old that the reason their name is Southwestern is because they were in the Southwestern United States when they were founded. Nashville, Tennessee was, you know, Southwest as the crow flow in the years it was founded. So uh, when I did that, they, they do a lot of brainwashing to get you excited about working 80 hours a week, knocking on doors, selling encyclopedias, so to speak. Um, and I had also in undergrad and in high school started businesses. And so I thought, man, it would be great if you can create an intense environment that um, encouraged folks to, you know, start companies instead of sell books. And so this was in 2000 and I started med school in 2009. In 2005, I believe, was the first Y Combinator class, a very famous tech incubator that pioneered a new way of helping people start companies. Uh, in 2007 or 2008, Techstars Boulder started, which is the second version of this. And so I heard about this from a friend basically the other guy that was in medical school to become a businessman, an entrepreneur, uh, we ended up becoming best friends. And he said, hey, you like mentorship? You like startups? Maybe you should start a tech incubator. Um, and so we tried to be the, the third, you know, uh, one in Silicon Valley, one in Boulder, Colorado, and, and then Lexington, Kentucky. So we tried to launch, we tried to raise a quarter million dollars. We tried to copy them and we failed miserably. Um, but we did succeed. This is back before co-working was very popular, but someone told us about the concept of a co-working space. So um, it is now a co-working space and we do have an accelerator and we do have an investment fund and we do have a coding school and a software company. But yes, 12 years ago, the whole vision was we just want to become the third Y Combinator out there, so to speak. Uh, so I went to med school for two years and I took a year off and uh, you know slept in the garage on the other side of that, that wall over there and showered at the YMCA and and really, really loved getting this place off the ground. Then I went back to medical school and finished up. So uh, yeah, that, that was the impetus for it. And that's what it's become since. Well, that's again, really, really cool and very close to our heart. We, when we left med school, we did a health tech incubator in Philadelphia called Dream at Health, run by another physician, Dr. Elliot yeah, Menchik. Yeah. And so, and we owe a lot to that, that experience. So obviously the, the companies that have gone through Awesome Inc. Uh, probably feel the same way. So switching gears to, let's, let's actually do a quick foray into global health, because that's been a passion of yours for a while in global medical education before we go to wild health and COVID. So, you know, how have you managed to practice in, in so many countries? Yeah. So that was what I wanted to do for a, a long time as I want to learn languages. I want to understand cultures. So um, as early as undergrad, um, I looked for opportunities to go shadow folks and obtained more and more responsibility as I went to medical school and then residency and, and just made it a priority over a lot of years. Um, and it was really fun to see when I was, for example, you know, 
19 years old and looking at Doctors Without Borders and saying, oh, you need all this experience. Um, and then, you know, in my early 30s, realizing like, oh, I'm a board certified family medicine physician that can, you know, speak enough Spanish or whatever the, the rule was. I'm like, man, I, this is, these are credentials that I dreamed of having for a very long time. I can actually go do this now. And so uh, I just had a, an interest for a very, very long time. Um, but I think something that is important to share with your your listeners, at least the ones that are still figuring their their lives out professionally, is that I I set the goal of saying, hey, I want to serve the world. I want to you know work and and help in other countries. Um, and it was in January of 2020 that I was laying in a hotel room in Ethiopia, where I was my second time there. I was with a, a group of folks that were trying to start a medical school. So very much, at least on paper, in line with what I thought I wanted to do in life. I went to med school, and as an entrepreneur, I thought, hey, I think I can do this better. And I was interested in third world countries. And so I thought, well, I'll start medical schools in other countries. Um, and I was laying in, in this Ethiopian hotel room thinking, I'm not having fun. I don't like this. And I was like, well, then why, why am I doing this? You know, it's like, well, because I said I would do this. I'm like, well, why did I say I would do this? Well, because I thought I was supposed to. Why did I think I was supposed to? Well, it's just a goal that I set. And I realized, man, I can change my mind. Just because I've done this for years. I mean, I, I applied to Doctors at Borders. Or I reached out to them halfway through residency. So I spent two years following up regularly with them to, to say I wanted to work with them. And then, then I didn't get in. I, I made it to all the different rounds, all the way to orientation, actually. And they were like, yeah, we don't, we don't want you. And so I, I kept trying to, to go abroad. I went abroad several times and I eventually just admitted, I don't have to do this if I don't want to. And it's not wrong that I don't want to be an international do-gooder, which again, I had felt was like the right way to live my life. Um, and that was, if you caught that date, January of 2020, I went back to the United States. I moved in across the street from my incubator, which is the place in the world that makes me the happiest. Uh, I called a, a buddy of mine that was one of the most successful entrepreneurs and physicians that I knew and said, hey, will you be my mentor? Will you coach me? And he said, no, but uh, you can be my employee. You want to help with this COVID thing? And you know, the rest is history. Well, first of all, I really appreciate that you're um, you're talking about all the zigzags in your career, right? Neurosurgeon from 13 is the goal and global health, global medical education. And I think that's a really important take-home point for any of the listeners who, are, you know, many of them, again, they subscribe to things like, I thought I wanted to do this from age 12. It's in their personal statement. They've they've literally told all these people at all these different schools to even get into medical nursing, PA, yeah. other schools. This is what they're going to do. Yeah. And then to change their identity or what they want it's a skill. It's a really important to be able to honestly assess where you are in your life, what makes sense, um, because things change, um, but your interests change, you mature, but also the environment changes. So, uh, you know, going into COVID, let's go into wild health. Can you tell us a bit more about wild health, what it was doing, uh, and then what specifically being director of COVID testing, like, you know, I've seen interviews you've done for Kentucky News about mm -hmm. going to rural Kentucky and trying to convince people who don't want to get vaccinated to get vaccinated. You know, give our audience yeah. a bit of bit of background on, on, on WILD and, and, and your role there. Sure, I'm happy to. I would like to put an exclamation point on the point you just made, though, about folks saying, hey, I'm going to do this, and then they don't do it. So from 13 to 23, that was my answer to the question, what are you going to do when you grow up? Brain surgeon. And everybody's like, oh my, you know, you couldn't be patted on the back harder than brain surgeon. I'm not even trying to mess with these lowly doctors. I'm a, I'm trying to be a brain surgeon now. And so I call that phrase or that concept you just described, listening to your heart faster. So recognizing, hey, this is the direction my heart is pointing. Um, how long is it going to take me to like recognize it and, and align where I'm headed? Um, 
And I, I used a couple examples of, you know, I wanted to travel before I went to medical school and I deferred medical school so I could travel. And my parents were like, hey, you should get a job. And I was like, uh, essentially, I, I wimped out and I, I got a job and it was the worst year ever. Uh, I worked in corporate America. It was one of the things that drove me to be convinced I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, and then while I was in medical school, I thought, man, I should start this incubator. And over the course of months, I, I made that decision. Um, and then when I was in residency, and so I eventually did listen to my heart instead of ignoring it. My cousin sent me a Facebook post about a ski resort that was for sale. And uh, I'd always said, hey, if I had a trillion dollars, I'd want to buy a mountain. And so this one was only 150 grand. And so within 48 hours, I was in the lobby of that ski resort uh, saying, hey, I'd like to, to buy your mountain. And didn't end up buying it, didn't end up succeeding. But um, just examples of how I was able to recognize what my heart was telling me and listen to it quicker and quicker each time. Took me a second with the whole global health thing. But uh, yeah, I think you should listen to your heart as quickly as possible. And that is a skill. Totally. Yeah, to your question uh, about what the heck happened with Wild Health. So yeah, we are a genomics-based precision medicine company. So genomics-based means we use 23andMe or any other number of services to get your genome and to look at your epigenetics as well. And then we use that information to make recommendations that are specific to you. So genomics-based and precision or personalized medicine is medicine that is, as the name implies, uh, precisely personalized to you. So an example of that that's the easiest to describe would be pharmacogenomics, which is a fancy way of saying, hey, which drugs are going to work on me specifically? So you, Shiv, may have something in your genome that tells us that while hydrochlorothiazide is the most common first-line blood pressure pill, you personally should start with a beta blocker, for example. So that is what genomics-based precision medicine is. And of course, we offer it uh, via telemedicine so that we can have patients around the world, which I think we do. However, I don't have much to do with that, so I won't speak much more about it. Um, as I mentioned in my story, I, I flew back from Ethiopia. I, I moved in across the street from my incubator, um, and, uh, and I just started reaching out to people that I looked up to saying, hey, can I help out? Uh, I think I told you, I would have called you next if I hadn't have gotten a job doing what I'm doing, just because I think osmosis and what you guys are doing is so fantastic. And so when I called him, I said, hey, can I be helpful or can we hang out? And he said, hey, I'm, I've got this practice and people are asking us for these tests and we have access to scientists and lab equipment. And I just asked him, can we do a PCR COVID test? And uh, the scientists that we had worked for us said, yeah, we could totally do that for you. And so we just started offering the test to our, our patients because nobody else could get it. Um, and then those patients had like horse farms because we are in Kentucky. So we would go out to a horse farm and test, you know, 30 people. And then those horse farms referred us to uh, the Kentucky Derby, which we tested in 2020. Um, and then the University of Kentucky called us, uh, which is here in Lexington and said, hey, can you test all of our students before they go back to school or before they start school? And then the state of Kentucky said, hey, will you basically help set up uh, these testing facilities all over the state? And then in March of 2021, they said, hey, all that stuff you've been doing with testing, can you do the same thing with vaccinations, please? And that uh, got us to where we are. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, I think there's one of my favorite quotes is Louis Pasteur, that chance favors the prepared mind. And all these things kind of led to you being in in a good place and then being able to scale it up. So what are some of the lessons you've learned trying to scale up both um, testing as well as vaccinations, both in terms of, you know, setting up these sites, but also convincing people. I mean, Kentucky, I know, I don't know what the vaccination rate is right now in Kentucky, but I assume it's not the same as in, you know, California or Boston. Um, so yeah. what are some of the things you've learned? And maybe if there's any advice you could give our 
audience about how do you how do you get people interested in getting vaccinated? Because I know you've had those direct conversations with people who are pretty vaccine hesitant. So I don't think I'm going to be able to say something very profound about that. Um, much of my time was spent sprinting all over the state, setting up sites and just meeting the demand that existed. We had some marketing campaigns, of course, uh, to try to get people to come, but we had a, a very, very rare problem in our business. Most of the time you spend finding product market fit, which is something I'm sure you've talked about on this podcast and learned about yourself. What is the specific product or service that our customers want and how exactly do they want to receive that product or service? In our case, they just told us, they just said, come here, test all my employees, give me a spreadsheet that has the positives and do it as fast as possible. And we just had so many of those coming our way that our biggest challenge was not trying to get folks to sign up. It was just meeting the demand of the avalanche of need in our state. So can't really speak to like, how do you talk somebody into it? I can speak a lot to what it's like to, to drown in opportunity. Where are things right now with wild health and COVID testing? Because, you know, Obviously, right now, the headlines dominating as we're recording this podcast are Ukraine, Russia. But just a month ago, Omicron was everywhere and the hospitalizations are up. But it almost feels like people have forgotten about COVID in the last week or two for good reason. So what's the current situation at Wild Health in terms of testing? And are there new variants? Like, what is your take on what the next few months uh, are going to look like? A couple of things right now. So last month was the largest month we've had in the history of our company. This month is the smallest month we've had in almost six months, and it is hands down the largest single month-to-month fall-off in terms of percentage and absolute volume that we've ever experienced. So I'll speak to what we're going through now, which I think is relevant to folks on a personal level, and that is we're having to let most everyone go on our entire team. That's really, really difficult because I care about them a lot, and they care about me a lot, and we all believe in the cause that we're fighting for. And it's strange. We're, we're talking about right now, you know, Ukraine is in the headlines. Uh, I read a book by Sebastian Younger called Tribe. And he speaks about how people become sad when a war is over, which you'd think that we'd all be glad that we're going out and getting different jobs because people aren't dying anymore. Speaking of wars, you know, COVID has taken more lives than the First World War, the Second World War, and Vietnam combined. And it's it's over. It looks like we've won, you know, uh, or have come closer to winning than we ever have. So we should be glad, and we are on some levels, but um, being in the trenches with some incredible people has formed significant bonds that I'm sad are over, even though it means that we're going to stop losing so many lives. The analogy also that I would say is going to play out in the lives of the folks that are going through nursing school and medical school and PA school is that the folks that you're going through difficult times with right now, I mean, med school was some of the hardest years of my life. Um, I formed some really close bonds with those folks and I haven't seen them since. And so while I wished medical school was over while I was in it, um, when I finally succeeded, I was like, man, I I miss being in such a, a difficult experience with such incredible people. That's a really, really interesting point. And first of all, I'm sorry to hear about that as far as the company goes, because I know to scale up to 150,000 vaccinations um, and then eventually the vaccinations, you know, if we're doing a good job, which you guys did, we'll do the job. And maybe there's a pivot to other types of healthcare testing and delivery that needs to happen, which we can get into. But I couldn't agree more that like some of the happiest 
years at osmosis were some of the most challenging where it was fewer of us very much a tribe and uh, and now it's much bigger obviously and doesn't feel as as tribe-like because there's layers of management and there's it's not like a fight to survive as much as it is a fight to grow incrementally right like so what do you think is next for wild health given that covid is going down like obviously you didn't start with covid in mind it was personalized genomics are you turning a lot of your attention back to that or not only what's next for wild health but what's next for luke yeah yeah so i've I've been joking all along like hey you know i can't wait to be done or not need my job type of thing but wild health the genomics based precision medicine side has split uh with the covid side and so we are two separate companies just to kind of have a more appropriate separation of church and state. So what is Wild Labs going to be doing? Um, we actually, this is good entrepreneurial advice. Instead of us just thinking, hey guys, it'd be cool if we did this. I bet people will love it. Let's go ahead and spend the next six months building this product and then launch. I had our customer service team reach out to our half million people that have gotten tested with us and said, hey, what do you wish we would offer you guys? You know, you've seen what we can do across the state. What do you wish we would, would do? We reached out to our corporate clients, you know, Toyota and Nestle and said, hey, what do you see us being uniquely capable of providing for you? I reached out to the director of public health for the state, um, Dr. Steve Stack, just a couple of days ago and said, hey, how could we serve the government? You know, because they've been a, a client. And then also we as a group spoke. So we'll talk on Friday uh, about this list of ideas and we will then form uh, some ideas, ways to test them, you know, firing bullets first and then cannonballs from Jim Collins's book, uh, Great by Choice. And so, yeah, I think that it has to do with us being very, very mobile. I think it probably has to do with us providing very simple testing or vaccination services like flu shots or basic blood draws or drug screens. But uh, we're trying not to decide ahead of time. We're trying to listen to our customers first and then come up with ways to test what we think are good hypotheses. That again is really great advice and it's really important to be adaptable, not only as an individual to your own career, as you said, follow your heart faster, uh, but also to achieve product market fit or tweak the product. Uh, There's so many different examples of companies that started with one hypothesis and moved into another one. I know we're coming up on time. I want to be respectful of yours. You know, you've already given our listeners a lot of good advice, given your own personal journey. Is there any other advice you'd like to leave them with before we, we end? Yes, I'd like to leave this with this one thing. And um, I think it's uh, fitting because it's the only reason that you and I know each other personally. I knew that I was interested in entrepreneurship. I knew I cared about healthcare, um, And I knew that the education system I was in was really frustrating because it didn't feel like, you know, if Google was going to start a med school, it wouldn't look like the med school that I went to. So the only reason that I'm friends with you Shiv is because I went to the American Medical Student Association to walk around and meet other startups that were in the medical education space. And some of those folks have become my friends. And again, if I'm looking for a job in six months, which may well be the case, you'll be seeing my my resume. So I would just say, hey, uh, pay attention to, to where you're headed and then go where those people are. Uh, and you'll form some pretty important friendships and some pretty exciting career opportunities. That's awesome advice and very much in line with kind of the serendipity of, of who you meet, you know, whether it's an advisor or it's uh, just a friend who then eventually becomes a colleague or, or in some other role. Um, anything else you'd like to share with our audience that we didn't cover today about you, about Wild, about COVID, anything else you want to share? No, no, I just repeat myself about, you know, how I met you. I didn't do it to build my resume or to look good. I did that through much of my undergrad, um, but I was just at AMSA because I cared about medical education entrepreneurship. 
Um, you know when you're doing it uh, because you care and you know when you're doing it to look good. And so I just hope you have the courage to do it because you care because you'll end up a lot happier when you're following your heart in that direction. I love that. Well, Luke, I mean, the feeling's mutual. I'm very impressed with everything you've done and uh, deeply appreciative of the friendship we've built over the years. Um, I look forward to seeing what, what happens next few months. Thanks for taking the time to be with us on Raise the Line. Sounds good. Thank you, Shiv. It's been a pleasure. And with that, I'm Shiv Ivani. Thanks to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.